0: And now, here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Get your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. We just have a couple of verses this morning that we're going to be talking about. There are a variety of ways. That Scripture categorizes, if you will, the lost and the saved. That's one way. You're either lost or saved. There's there's no middle ground. Uh, you're you're either indwelt by the Spirit or you're not. What are some other ways? You got to speak up there, Pat. Okay, in Adam or in Christ? We just went through that in chapter 5, right? You're either in Adam or in Christ. Today we're going to look at another way that Paul chooses to describe two different types of people. One is according to the flesh. The other is according to the Spirit. And we'll be talking about this over the next week or so as well um, as we continue in this study. But for today, it's just verses 5 and 6. And if you are able, I'd ask that you would just stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. This is coming from Romans 8, beginning in verse 5. Paul writes, "...for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit." For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Let's pray. Father, I I doubt that there's a person in here this morning that would choose death over life and peace. And Father, that life and peace is only found by the Holy Spirit through your Son, Jesus Christ. So I pray that you would just work on our hearts this morning to see the truth of who Jesus is, and beyond that, to see the reality of who we are. Are we according to the flesh, or are we according to the Spirit? Do that work in our hearts, and we'll give you praise for it. And this, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In his book, Faith Works, this is... 20, more, 20, year, 20 year old or more book by John MacArthur. He tells about reading another book which told the story of a pastor who had been put in prison for robbing 14 banks to finance his encounters with prostitutes. The author of this book was fully convinced that his pastor was a true Christian, and so he wrote the book to explore how such a thing could be possible. And MacArthur writes, Call me old-fashioned, but I think it's fair to raise the question of whether someone who regularly robs banks to pay for illicit sex is truly saved. I wholeheartedly agree with that assessment. In recent years, polls have shown really some disturbing beliefs and behaviors among those who profess to be evangelical Christians. For example, a Pew Forum poll indicated that 57% of evangelical church attenders believe many religions can lead to eternal life, religions other than Christianity. Other surveys show that only 9% of teens and 32% of adults who claim to be born again actually believe in moral absolutes. Think about the negative side of that. That means that over 90% of born-again teens and two-thirds of born-again uh, adults do not believe in moral absolutes. Now, these shocking numbers, maybe they can be explained in part by a lack of solid biblical preaching in evangelical churches, but beneath this, solid, this lack of solid preaching is a basic, basic misunderstanding about the nature of, of the gospel. We've wrongly assumed that when someone makes a decision to accept Christ as Savior and prays a prayer to invite Jesus into his heart, he is saved. We wrongly think that someone can accept Jesus as their Savior but not yield to Him as Lord. That may be something that might come down the road. Or we mistakenly assume that all who profess Jesus as Lord, especially those who serve Him, will go to heaven. But in Matthew uh, chapter 11, Jesus makes it clear that only those who obey him can expect to be welcomed into heaven. The Bible is clear that salvation is a matter of God's imparting new life to a person who was dead in their sins. And such new life always manifests itself in changed belief and behavior. Now, this is not to say that those who are truly born again cannot fall into gross sin because they do, but it is to say that they cannot live complacently in sin. While growth in godliness is a lifelong process, there is such growth in the lives of all who have been born of the Spirit. In Romans 8, 1 through 4, Paul gives us some assurance that if we are in Christ, we will not be condemned at the judgment. Jesus paid the penalty we deserved on the cross. If we have trusted in his shed blood, The Holy Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. That's kind of what we covered last week. Paul concludes that little section there in verse 4b saying, he describes those who have been justified by faith. He says, they do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's that dichotomy again. Walking according to the Spirit, walking according to the flesh. Now he explains the four or why some walk according to the flesh and others walk according to the spirit. It's due to their nature. Their spiritual nature of being either according to the flesh or according to the spirit, that determines their spiritual behavior of walking according to the flesh or walking according to the spirit. Now in verses five through eight, he mainly describes those who are according to the flesh. In verses 9 through 11, he focuses on those who are uh, in the spirit. Now, Griffith Thomas, he summarizes the flow of thought here. He says, "Hence, as in verses 1 through 4, the apostle has shown that until and unless a man is justified, he cannot possibly be holy. So now in verses 5 through 11, he will show that if a man is not holy, he cannot possibly have been justified." In other words, justification is always the necessary foundation for sanctification. And sanctification is always the evidence of justification. So Paul paints a picture for us here of these two distinct groups, those who are according to the flesh and those who are according to the Spirit. Now our main point this morning is this since there are only two groups of people with two very different destinies, make sure that you are according to the Spirit, not the flesh. Well, our first major point, there are two and only two groups of people in the world, those who are according to the flesh and those who are according to the Spirit. Now, this is verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit The things of the Spirit. Now it's important to understand that Paul is not writing here about two different types of Christians, but rather how non Christians differ from true Christians. While it's true that immature believers may yet uh, live according to the flesh, and even mature believers at times yield to the flesh, that is not what Paul is describing here. Here, those who are according to the flesh, that describes the spiritual condition of unbelievers. They are characterized by death in verse 6. Now, those who are according to the Spirit, that describes believers who are characterized by life and peace in verse 6. Now, the nature of each group determines their present behavior and their final destiny. There's a popular but really mistaken view that there are two optional tracks for the Christian life. If you're prone to masochism, you can sign up for the discipleship track. Under this plan, you give up everything to follow Christ. You have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. You're going to suffer hardship and sacrifice and maybe even martyrdom. We just saw the video. We've seen that 300 IMB missionaries over the years have lost their lives on the field. You have to give control of all of your material assets to Christ. You may be required to take the gospel to a foreign culture where you'll live in difficult and perhaps dangerous circumstances, but your rewards in heaven, they're going to be great. Now, the discipleship track is for the super-committed the other track, I'm going to call the cultural Christian track, is for the rest of us more normal, ordinary believers. Under this plan, you can accept Jesus as your Savior to, to make sure that you go to heaven, of course, but also pursue your dreams for success and personal fulfillment in this life. You get the best of both worlds without needing to go gung-ho, gung-ho like those on the discipleship track. You can enjoy the fellowship of a good evangelical church and pursue the American dream all at the same time. Just drop in something in the offering plate once in a while to pay for your dues. Uh, Every now and again, you can volunteer to help out the church as long as it fits in with your busy schedule. Don't be too hard on yourself concerning obedience to the Bible. After all, you're just human. God is gracious. He understands your weaknesses. So accept yourself and don't think that you have to be all out for Jesus. That's just for the fanatics on the discipleship track. Now, I hope that that description of cultural Christianity doesn't seem too familiar to you. Here's what Jesus said in Mark 8. He summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me... (laughs) He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Um, For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whosoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Those aren't easy words, are they? It's pretty clear that Jesus is talking about eternal life or eternal condemnation. If you want eternal life, you must die to self and follow Jesus Now, in Paul's language, that describes a person who is according to the Spirit. The other tract, that describes those who are according to the flesh. Now, these are the only two groups in the world when it comes to eternal life and eternal death. There's not a third group. Well, number two, these two groups are uh, sharply distinguished by different mindsets, Paul describes the mindset of those who are according to the flesh as things of the flesh. That's verse 5. This mindset is death. That's verse 6. It is hostile toward God and not subject to God's law. That's verse 7. And it's not pleasing to God. That's verse 8. On the other hand, the mindset of those who are according to the Spirit uh, is the things of the Spirit. That's verse 5. And that mindset is life and peace. That's verse 6. Now, by implication... Since it's the opposite of the mindset of the flesh, the mindset of those of of who are according to the Spirit is friendly towards God, subject to His law and pleasing to Him. To be according to the flesh means to live under the flesh, to make it your rule, to obey it, To live according to the Spirit means to be ruled and determined by His, the Spirit's awakening, regenerating, illuminating presence, characterized by the fact that He now dwells in you. Now, I want to look a little closer at these two mindsets. So, A, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Flesh in the Bible can be used in different ways depending on the context, Sometimes it it refers to just our human bodies without any moral connotations whatsoever. It can also refer to the weakness of human life as simply temporal versus eternal. Or it may refer to the sinfulness of human nature after the fall as expressed in deeds of the flesh. And this is how Paul uses it here, this word flesh, in Romans chapter 8. These deeds of the flesh, they include sins that we might characterize as sensual, immorality, impurity, drunkenness. But they also include things like worshiping false gods, strife, jealousy, anger. So to live according to the flesh is to live independently of God in total dependence on yourself with self at the center Now, the fleshly person may be outwardly moral, but his motives and his goals are for his own glory or his own gain or comfort without regard for the glory of God and the good of others. Paul makes it clear that being according to the flesh has to do with our mindset or how we think. Martin Lloyd-Jones explains, the term includes not only thought and understanding... It includes the affections, the emotions, the desires, and the objects of pursuit. Now that non-Christian, that non-Christians set their minds on the things of the flesh not only means that they think about them occasionally, he says, but that these are the things which they think of most of all. These are the things of which they think habitually. The trend or the bent of their thinking is towards them. To set one's mind on the things of the flesh, John mentions something like this in his first epistle there in chapter 2, beginning of verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So loving the world or setting one's mind on things of the flesh means to live for the temporal things that the world values in disregard of God and eternity. Well, let's take a look at those who are according to the Spirit. This is B. They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit are the truths that are revealed in God's Word concerning who He is who we are, the great salvation that He has provided in Christ, and how we are to live in light of that salvation. To set your mind on the things of the Spirit doesn't mean that you go around with your head in the clouds, detached from everyday matters. You don't have to join a monastery so that you can pray and and, and meditate several hours a day. It doesn't mean that you don't get your hands dirty with mundane things like work and paying bills and cleaning the house and fixing meals and mowing your lawn or even checking in with Facebook. Rather, to set your mind on the things of the Spirit means to relate all of life to God and His Word. God has been fit in His Word to tell us how to have our sins forgiven and to how, and how to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. Let's face it, you could die at any moment and stand before God. In Colossians 3, Paul says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So to set your mind on the things of the Spirit means to think often about matters of salvation, to to worship God, to commune with Him. But you know, the Bible also tells us a lot about practical, down-to-earth matters. In fact, in the context of Colossians 3, Paul goes on to talk about sex greed anger abusive speech and truthfulness he gives practical commands regarding relationships marriage childbearing and work things we're all familiar with in other places the bible says a lot about how to manage money how to deal with trials how to relate relate to civil authorities and many other practical matters so to repeat, to set your mind on the things of the Spirit means to relate all of life to God and His Word. It means to, to develop a biblical worldview where what you think about and, and, you, and what you process, you do it through the lens of the Bible, the lens of God's Word. At the heart of this process is how you think. Think. Later we're going to see Paul say, "Renew your mind <laughs> to renew our mind." In, in an article on the Greek noun Phronema, which occurs only in Romans 8 and is translated as the mindset, the mindset on the flesh, the mindset on the spirit, those things. Jay Gotsman, he points out that there can be no such thing as a neutral thinking. We're always aiming at something. He adds, this passage makes it abundantly clear that the way one thinks is intimately related to the way one lives, whether in Christ, in the spirit and by faith, or alternatively in the flesh, in sin and in spiritual death. A man's thinking and striving cannot be seen in isolation from the overall direction of his life. The latter will be reflected in the aims which he sets Himself. In Colossians 3, Paul commands us to set our minds on the things above. But in Romans 8, he describes believers as those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit. While it's a lifelong process that does involve growth, we need to ask ourselves honestly Does this describe me? Do I set my mind on the things of the Spirit or on the things of the flesh? Which direction am I heading? Well, maybe I can give you a clue. If you spend more time, more of your spare time watching TV or playing video games or simply trolling on the computer than you spend reading the Bible, reading Christian books, fellowshipping with other believers, or serving the Lord in some capacity, then may I suggest you might be headed down the wrong direction. Now, I'm not saying that every spare minute should be spent on spiritual activities. We all need some downtime. We all have hobbies. We all have chores to do. But if you're not making a concerted, consistent effort to develop a, a biblical mindset, something is seriously wrong. So there are two and only two groups of people in the world. Number one, unbelievers, who live under the domination of the flesh and set their mind on the things of the flesh. And number two, believers, who live under the domination of the Holy Spirit and set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now from there, things get even more serious. Well, number three, these two distinct groups are marked by mindsets that lead to two totally different destinies. One is death, one is life and peace. Romans, this is verse six. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Paul is describing the current spiritual state of each group, which explains the four or why the first group sets their minds on the things of the flesh and the second group sets their minds on the things of the spirit. You see, the first group is dominated by the flesh because they are spiritually dead, The second group is dominated by the Holy Spirit because He has given them life and peace in God. The scary part is this. If those who are dead in their sins continue in that state until they die physically, they will continue throughout eternity in that awful condition of separation from God. They're under the penalty of His just wrath and will spend eternity in hell. Now, this state of eternal spiritual death, it doesn't mean that those who are in hell are annihilated or cease to exist. You understand that would actually be quite a blessing for them. The Bible is clear that eternal spiritual death means enduring conscious torment forever. Now, these frightening truths, they come to us from the Lord Jesus Himself and from John, the apostle of love. If we reject, if we reject this truth, We're not following Jesus, and that's bad news. But there is good news. If you have been given new life through the Holy Spirit, although your physical body will die, God will resurrect your body, and you will enjoy life and peace with Him and with all the saints throughout eternity. The moment your physical body dies, your spirit goes immediately into the presence of the Lord. Now, death is never a pretty picture, The mortician, he can make up a corpse to look its best, but we all know that person is dead. And death is the spiritual picture of all who are outside of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He writes in verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. He repeats it in verse 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. Now, the unbeliever may be a good person. He may give generously to charity and devote himself to good deeds. But if he has not been born again by the life giving Spirit of God, he is spiritually dead. But the one who has been born again has life and peace. Now, the life that it's talking about is called eternal life. <laughs> That's because it's indestructible, it cannot be taken away by any evil force it joins us in living union with Jesus Christ who once and for all conquered death and who lives and reigns forever. Now, peace means that we now have peace with God because our sins have been completely forgiven. We looked, I don't know, a couple months ago uh, there, Romans 5, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, even in the midst of life's trials and troubles, we enjoy peace in Christ. Now, the application of our text, it should be rather obvious. Make sure that you have new life through God's Spirit and that you're not living according to the flesh. Don't deceive yourself by thinking, I'm one of those worldly or carnal Christians, but I'm going to heaven because I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus into my heart. The issue is, do you have life and peace with God through the Spirit? Do you set your mind on the things of the Spirit? If not, repent, cry out to God to give you that new life. If you're sure that you've been born again, but you're drifting into the things of the flesh or the things of the world, the solution is the exact same. Repent and don't rest until your mind and your focus are on the things of the Spirit. You need to sit down and evaluate your schedule. Have you ever seen the Big Rocks illustration? You can find it on YouTube. It's pretty good. A professor walks in and he's got a big old glass jar and it's filled with good-sized rocks that just barely fit in the jar. And he asks the class, uh, is the jar full? Yes, they respond. So he pulls out some pea gravel, pours it in and shakes it down all around the rocks. And then he says, is it full now? Whoo! they're not so sure. Then he takes just some sand, pours it in as much as he can, shakes it. Last, he pours in the water and fills it to the brim. Now, here's the point of that illustration. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you won't be able to fit them in at all. Schedule your priorities or they will be crowded out by the urgent but usually trivial. Your biggest rock, hear me, your biggest rock is your relationship with God set your th- set your mind on the things of the spirit let's pray father it is a challenging text because we recognize sin in our own lives uh, father we recognize this tendency to operate in the flesh and Father, it seems sometimes it's it's not very often that we actually observe the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So I pray that You would give us clarity, give us understanding, give us discernment concerning ourselves and where we stand in relation to You. Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus, and pray that even this morning that You would uh, just allow us to see Him for who He really is, the Savior of the world. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you're seated out there, and maybe maybe that that what I call the uh, cultural Christian track, that kind of describes you pretty good, and you understand that yeah, this is this is more of a game, this is more of a, a show for me, that's not going to hold up very good when you stand before God one day. You need to get right with God, repent of your sins, ask Jesus or uh, trust Jesus for what He did, you know, nearly two thousand years ago on the cross. He died for sins that we might live. I I just urge you, turn to Christ this morning. If you're a believer, well, this is one of those where you go, yeah, there's not a one of us in here that at some point doesn't go, "Eh." yeah, it gets a little jab here or there. Some of you are getting, getting slayed because you've been stayed in the world too much. All right? Again, repent. Ask God to forgive you. Seek Him until your mind is on the things of the Spirit. I encourage you today, follow Christ. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.